Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Thursday. Uh, we're almost here for the weekend, which will be a long weekend. So you should be excited. We got Memorial Day coming up on Monday. And so we have a long weekend. We're almost there. It's Thursday. We have an awesome, awesome show planned for you today. As I told you at the end of yesterday's show, I called an audible uh, because the conversation with Tim Floyd uh, went so well that I just didn't want to tack on this very important conversation we're about to have to the end of that Tim Floyd deal and have you guys there for two and a half hours because I don't know how long this conversation is going to go. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. FX. FX has a documentary out on Carl Lentz, a very high-profile minister uh, who was involved with Hillsong Church uh, in New York and became the celebrity to all the stars uh, from Justin Bieber to Kevin Durant to whoever. I, I can't even think of all the stars that he was involved with. He falls in disgrace, uh, extramarital affairs and other misconduct. He gets run out of Hillsong. It's a major story. This all happened, I think, two, three years ago uh, when this was all in the news. And, and now FX is doing a pretty comprehensive documentary on what happened with Carl Lentz and what happened at Hillsong uh, Church in New York. It, it's four episodes, and they've aired two of the episodes. And so Anthony Walker, Virgil Walker, we're going to, and I go with one of my favorite words, unpack what we've seen in the first two episodes, The Secrets of Hillsong. And so I want to start by playing a video from, I believe, uh, the Today Show, where they interviewed the founder of Hillsong Church, a guy out of, Houston, uh, out of Australia named uh, Brian Houston. But this will give you a little bit of background and it's just a two minute, two minutes, 10 second clip, but give you a little bit of background on who Carl Lentz is and what happened at Hillsong. Many of you I'm sure know, but I just want to give you this background before we start talking about it. A Grammy winning music empire, along with highly produced podcasts and a TV channel. You're still a carrier of God's spirit. Charismatic, young and fashionable leaders and celebrity attendees from Justin Bieber to Vanessa Hudgens to Chris Pratt. Not what you might expect from church on a Sunday, but it's why Hillsong has grown into one of the most influential mega churches in the world and one of the most controversial. You know who's going to give you peace? It's going to be the expert. His name is Jesus. Its popularity exploded in the U.S. with the high profile of the, quote, celebrity pastor, Carl Lenz whose recent downfall has triggered a wave of scandals for the church Brian Houston created in Australia more than 30 years ago. What has this season in the church been like for you? I think it's been difficult, clearly, because a lot of disappointment in some of the things that have emerged. Get your mind right. There's hope for you yet. Lentz founded the East Coast branch of Hillsong in 2010, drawing stars in like Justin Bieber, who Lentz baptized in an NBA player's bathtub. But it all came crashing down last fall when Lentz was fired and admitted to an affair, writing on social media, I am deeply sorry for breaking the trust of many people. 
a woman who says she was his mistress speaking soon after. He keeps saying, um, I manage celebrities and I travel with them. He didn't want to say what he does. And more allegations of unusual behavior for a pastor followed. People described Carl Lentz as somewhat aloof and removed from the actual ministry. They say he would come in a chauffeured car, wait in a green room, come do a sermon and depart. Does that bother you? It does to a degree, for sure. Look, Carl was Carl. He's a unique character. There's a lot of things I miss about Carl. But having said that, there were leadership issues that I believe included lying, included what I would call narcissistic behavior. So I want to start with my own transparency here, uh, just to get you to understand why I'm dedicating a specific show to Hillsong, to Carl Lentz, and to his fall. And, and it's because it's my belief that all people, and particularly young people, are crying out for a religious revival. I, inappropriately, in a confused way, in a, in a way that's easily to be exploited and manipulated, young people are looking for God. They've been convinced that the traditional church is not the way to go, and they're looking for a minister, a leader, a movement that looks like regular culture, but is laced and is defined by its relationship with Jesus Christ. So here comes Carl Lentz, good looking guy, former low level college basketball player. He's friends, disciples, mentors, Justin Bieber, becomes friends with NBA players. And he's the, the celebrity minister to a lot of these guys. He's friendly with Kanye West, everybody. Everybody's kind of, oh wow, this feels good. It looks good. I'll say, and, and I, I put this on young people, but, but it's really not just young people. I'll say even about myself at 56, and, and again, you guys have been, I've been talking about this journey I've been on since 2013, well, since 2014 basically, almost a decade now. Once things turned really poorly for me, in the media space and I, my eyes were open to like, man, there's some really demonic, satanic forces hurting me and my career. And then having my eyes open and say, whoa, this isn't personal, this has nothing to do with me. There are some really demonic, satanic, evil forces taking over America. And your eyes get open and then you, so you start looking for, hey man, we gotta have some kind of great revival that catches everybody up and we start pushing the pendulum back the other way. And that's why when this show began two years ago, I was still telling you all about Mike Todd and, and the church he has in, in Tulsa, Transformation Church. It, at the time, I knew nothing about Carl Lentz but I'm looking at Mike Todd's church in Tulsa and I discovered, you know, in 2020 during COVID when everybody's online and his church looks like what you'd want a church to look like. Young people, old people, black people, white people, Asian people, 
everybody's at his church. It's entertaining. It's fun. Uh, the music at the church is different than the traditional deal. And, and it, you get kind of get caught up and you start thinking like, this is it. This is what God wants. This is, uh, this is the culture starting to pivot and starting to change in a positive direction. And then the lack of substance eventually reveals itself and, and you get confused and, and your desire to see this revival amongst a large group, amongst a lot of your peers, you eventually figure out that the only revival that you can really control and should be worried about is the one within you. And so when I look at Carl Lentz and I look at Hillsong Church and I look at w what happened to him, I can see why so many young people and just so many people in general got swept up in it. A charismatic white minister with a following that was really diverse and, and was really fun. And the music aspect of this, if you follow me in the show and why I have, uh, I don't know if the camera can show you guys, but sometimes the camera pans and it shows you I got music artists behind me. We got guitars up. I'm in Music City. I really believe in music and the power of music. And if you've listened to me talk on the show about tuning my heart and mind with music every morning. I really believe in the power of music in terms of assisting your spiritual growth and your walk with Christ. And Hillsong mastered that. And again, I didn't know anything about Hillsong until recently. And, and, but, but watching this documentary and watching how the Hillsong movement from Australia to America and every other place it, it has taken root, music has been at the center, at the heart of it. Big entertainment has been at the heart of it. And not that, because again, I'm unfamiliar with Carl Lentz as a minister. I'm, I've never watched an entire Carl Lentz sermon. I don't know how he was with the doctrine, with the presentation of scripture, I can only speculate. I do know that that concert type feel, that entertainment type feel, that Maverick City music type feel of Hillsong Church has great appeal with young people. This documentary is important, but you need to watch it with your eyes wide open. We're being told what FX and the producers want to tell us about Hillsong. Some of it's interesting, some of it I watch with a jaundiced eye or you know, with some skepticism because one of the first things that catches my attention is this guy's leading a really diverse church. It's dominated by male leadership. Everybody in the first two episodes talking that was a member of the congregation has been a woman or a gay person. It, it's, it's been, the, the, the documentary two episodes in seems primarily based on, not, 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 I don't wanna say based on the complaints, but the people from the congregation that are talking is an older black woman and her daughter. 
a appears to be an Indian type woman who has some kind of facial defect and saw herself as the next great minister from Hillsong. Uh, she wants to be a leader. And then a black woman whose hair is dyed blonde, who seems to be in support of the LGBTQ and Black Lives Matter deal. And then there's a gay white dude uh, that was upset that Brian Houston and, and Hillsong basically weren't out of the closet in full support of the LGBTQ movement. I haven't, through two episodes, it's the only two they've shown, and they're an hour long, I haven't seen one man, what, one straight man, uh, from their congregation say anything. And, and so it, it makes me skeptical of like, what's the agenda here? The, the, this whole thing is told from a very secular point of view. They're applying secular standards to the church. And so that's my setup to invite Anthony and Virgil, two experts into the conversation, to help me understand what it is we're watching. I think it's worth watching. I think it's educational. I, I, I have no, I've had some conversation with Anthony and Virgil about it, but I really can't say where this conversation is gonna go. Uh, we've had some brief conversations, but, but I hope it goes someplace that's edifying and enriching and provides some understanding for me and the audience about what we should think about mega churches, what we should think about uh, the use of music. I think Anthony's going to be very interesting on that because uh, he's a Church of Jesus, uh, Church, of Christ. Church of Christ, where they don't use instruments in music. And so they have some thoughts about how music is supposed to be used within a church. And so much of what Hillsong seems to be doing is it's almost like this is a record label that does some church as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and just for me, if Tennessee Harmony, the thing that I do weekly with Anthony and Virgil, it's musically inspired. I want to do a summer concert deal, bringing believers in Christ together and just praising and worshiping Jesus with music. And so I'm, I'm watching all of this and I'm learning and questioning myself and my own vision and just how to appropriately use music. It almost feels like Hillsong and a lot of churches Again, they're concerts. It's a concert tour. It's an entertainment tour laced with a feeling of doctrine, gospel, scripture, substance, but the entertainment is actually overwhelming all of that. And so I'm gonna quit rambling and we'll start with just a simple question about Hillsong's use of music, and is that the foundation for a, the bait that a lot of mega churches are using, and are they using it improperly? Have Anthony go first, and then Virgil follow in. So the entire concept that I have on this comes from a zoomed out picture. So I'm, I'm gonna hit that specifically, but I'm gonna give you the zoomed out image, and it'll probably give you an idea of the theme of of everything we're going to discuss. Biblically, when the church began, Acts chapter 2, day of Pentecost, just about every Christian kind of would say, okay, this is the 
ground level of the church. The initial movement, although they had temple worship uh, in their heritage, the initial movement of the church was small in nature, uh, daily uh, house to house gatherings. Um, They would have an assembly, but even those were either house churches or small in nature. So the mega church dynamic, we don't find that biblically. And that's not to condemn a congregation of, of, of that size, but it just goes to show if you want to get back to the roots, the roots did not start out that way. Even larger congregations, larger churches, what if what they really try to do, even in their size, is maintain that small feel. So they will have small group uh, settings or smaller, you know, discipleship groups or whatnot to maintain that small feel. So with that being said, what happens when you have a mega church, you now have a mega institution organization that has to be responsible for an image. So everything is going to go through that. So with music, for example, the music is used a lot of time in the megachurch dynamic as a way of entertainment, because I, I mean, I've got thousands of people here. We got to do something and, and singing a song this way or, or this kind of music. It's got to be something appealing to the masses because that will draw in. And music and worship biblically has been something. I mean, the scriptures teach us that it should be edifying, but it should first be exalting of God. So so we're not worshiping ourselves. We're worshiping God. So even in the lyrics, even in the sound of it, does this have more to do with me and how it makes me feel? Or does it have to do with God? See, When we when we arrive to an assembly, when we come together to worship, There is an audience there, but it's an audience of one. Like we're trying to worship him and we want him to be pleased with this. So the way that Hillsong used music, uh, even as this documentary points out, tapping into Christian uh, writers, songwriters, you know, mega writers, like people that hit wrote hit songs. Their aim was we want to draw by music. But scripturally, the drawing power, Jesus says in in John, he says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. That's our evangelistic method. Not to say that worship and singing is is, is not right because it's absolutely right. But the drawing must be the exaltation of Christ and the word of God. If that doesn't draw them, then nothing else is going to keep them. You're going to constantly find out gimmicks and ways to to keep them. So first thing, the music piece, this documentary shows that there was a concerted effort to make music, its popularity, the concert style, entertainment style. That was their drawing power. Virgil, I know you got some thoughts. Yeah, I I would I would amen near about everything that. Uh, that Anthony mentioned there, I, I think you hit on something with regard to this particular doc- documentary, because, yes, it is about Carl Lentz uh, and Hillsong. But I think the overarching story speaks to a, a much broader issue as it relates to evangelicalism and how we consume um, uh, faith, how we consume religion. 
the mega church. You guys talked about it at the at the top, and we don't see that. We we definitely see you know thousands on the day of Pentecost that uh, that come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, but thereafter they're meeting. Um, house to house, they're meeting as they gather uh, there, uh, you know, in, in 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 Jerusalem, and so it's it's one of those things where where we have a, a an American concept of mega churches and oversized churches, and the draw for that is the music. Hillsong uh, taps into its broader audience. It, one of the thoughts that that people who are who are listening or watching this documentary may 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 think is, how did all these people in New York come to learn about Hillsong. And on the very first few days, you know, the, the place is exploding with numbers. Well, the reason is because while Hillsong has its origin in Australia, its music was everywhere. And so they could just tap into the music that had that had left the, the Australian shores and, and hit America. And, and that name alone, that's why the church was named after, after the, the music label, so to speak. You, you, people are drawn to that as a result. Uh, the music is 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 a critical piece in drawing people, but once you're there, the question then becomes: Is what I'm singing God exalting, or is it focused on me? And and as you go through the documentary, you see a lot of people were looking for something for them. They were looking for something that identified with them. They were looking to be validated in some way, whether it was their sexuality. They wanted to feel like they belonged. The focus was not on Christ. The focus was on on self. That was the big thing. But uh, Hillsong's not the only ones who do this. There's a there's a uh, Bethel Music does this as well. They have a l- large music that that precedes it. Ministries go out as a result, and people are exposed to the music. And then churches that have that music are drawn. This speaks to the nature of how of how um, uh, of how the mega churches uh, begin to grow. But one of the things, and I'll, I'll say this lastly, and 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 uh, and end is that I think we've got to get back to. What is the purpose of the church to begin with? I think in all of this, that's what's missing. People are believing that the church is for them. The church is so that I could identify with someone. The church is for for me to feel better about my situation. The church is for me to be encouraged. And and Anthony said it up up front. The church is about God. Christ came to to, to as a ransom. He he gives his life for the bride, the church. The church is about him. The church is to exalt him. The church is to point others to him. If he be lifted up, he will be the one who draws. So when we go to church and we attend church, we've got this idea, this concept that the church is about us when actually the church is about God. And it's about, it's about exalting God and who he is. Now from that, we are, we are edified from that. We are bettered from that. We know how to live life in a, in a, in a, you know, in a, in a way that honors God, but primarily speaking, um, we start this process with understanding who God is and, and following him. And that's the purpose of the church. When I hear you say that Virgil, I, 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 the church is about exalting God. Is that different than my relationship with God? Isn't that about me? Isn't that about isn't that about me being a better person, me showing, demonstrating, 
trying to live up to the responsibilities that are spelled out in the Bible, that it's, it's, and again, I get what you're saying about church, but my relationship with God, isn't that me trying to be a better servant to God? And so are, are those two different things? No, great point. I think the primary reason, yeah, I think the, the primary reason we come to a saving faith in Christ is because we recognize that we are not enough. We, we, we're not good enough. We won't be good enough. We can't clean ourselves up well enough. There is nothing that we can do to better ourselves. And so we first recognize our sinful condition, our wretched condition, uh, our depraved position before a holy God. And we recognize that we need to repent of sin and place our faith in him. Jesus would, 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 would say it this way, that, that, if, that if, if not only if he be lifted up, that he would draw all men unto him, but more importantly, or, or equally important, I should say it this way, is that we are responsible to die to ourselves, to pick up our cross and follow him. The, the, the death uh, that's associated with the cross, that, that, that's crucifixion. That's the ending of my life. I have come to the end of myself. And as a result, I'm picking up Christ and him crucified. Now, secondarily, as a result of that understanding and acknowledgement, our lives will be better. But we don't. it's not the reverse. It's not I come to Christ for a better life. It's I come to Christ because I, I have no life. I come to Christ because he is all I need. I come to Christ because apart from him, I can do nothing. That's how we come to Christ. And, and as a result of coming to Christ, with that heart and mind in place, we then learn how we should live our lives in a way that honors Let and glorifies Let me ask you this. Yes. There's nothing wrong with your answer, so I'm not cutting you off because there's anything wrong with your answer. It's just this conversation is going to be a little bit different because I, I desperately want to understand. Mm -hmm. Is human nature... When you say that I can do nothing without Christ, I'm not sure there's plenty of wrong things I can do without Christ. Sure. And so I don't know if I agree with that. And so I'm looking at people build successful businesses, make a lot of money, do all kinds of things without Christ. I'm seeking a relationship because like, I want to do the right things. Right. I, th and so I, I think sometimes that might fall on deaf ears when I can do nothing without. Oh, I, I, I feel like, well, man, I've done a lot without Christ and I'm ashamed of it. And, ooh, uh, <laughs> and so my relationship is like I want to do the right things. That's why I'm seeking the relationship. What Virgil is giving is shorthand for how Christians talk. Like we may use that phrase and but the complete phrase of what he's really expressing is we can do nothing of substance. We can do nothing valuable, nothing of substance without Christ. Everything that you mentioned, uh, Paul would put it this way. Everything that the world has given you are things that we're embarrassed about. Every every one of those stories I got and I'm ashamed to tell it. That's what the world gave you. But anything of substance is what God gives us. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. 
even my ability to live and breathe and have my very being. It is because he gives it to me. So when we use that phrase, I can do nothing without Christ. I I can't do anything of substance without Christ. If uh, God will put it this way, if I build a house without him, it will not stand. If, if I attempt to build anything in life without God, ordaining it, driving it, me in submission to him, none of it will amount to anything. So that's that's the piece. The thing I was going to add to what Virgil was saying as it relates to what church is and relationship. Our relationship with God does include our other family, friend, neighbor. It includes that. Uh, Even going back to when God gives the law, uh, the first four of the Ten Commandments They relate to God, loving him. The other six relate to me loving my neighbor. So loving God, he's going to challenge me on that. If I say, oh, God, I just love you. I love you. I love you. He's going to challenge me to say, well, how do you treat your brother? Well, I forget about him. I just love you. No, how you treat your brother is a reflection of how you love me. If I love my brother, love my brother, love my brother, you say, well, what about God? No, I don't believe in God. Well, how can you love me when in, in terms of what love means, that unconditional agape love? How can I know what that is without God? So when I come to God, when I come to the knowledge of God, of knowing who he is and knowing who my neighbor is, I can't even I can't even touch the law without touching both of those. The tendency that we fall into when you mention human nature, the tendency for us is to isolate. It is to, hey, all I need, just just give me and God and I'm good to go. But the man that God calls me to be, the leader that God calls me to be, it has world implications. It has my family. It has my kids. I can't take on the attitude of, hey, God, as long as me and you are good, I'm all right. If I don't have my neighbor in mind. So even a call to Christ and a call to the church involves community. That's that's a part of our walk. Outside of that, what is the value? What's the value of God and me living? And and this is where I I don't I don't want to take up too much time. But this is I have an issue sometimes with how people look at the Bible and look at God. Sometimes they look at it as like, hey, this is just kind of a step up. Like this is the best best help book out there, you know, other than all these other self-help books. This was just a little bit better. No, it is phenomenal. It's the word of life. Yeah. It is the word of truth. I-, I can't do it without it. So he's not just an incremental, you know, next step or a better step. He is the self, the truth, the way, the life. And that involves yeah. uh, all of that. So with that said, I can't even come at it from just a music only perspective or let me let music drive this because I'm going to get that. But I may not have who he is. And that's that's where I mean, we're, we're on the on the tip. But does that kind of help a little bit with where what yeah. Virgil was saying? It does. It, yeah. it takes me to to this question, Virgil, that, that I want to go back to my original thought of like. Part of me looks at this documentary and looks at the large crowds and congregation they're able to draw, and, and it, it makes me go, people are really thirsty. And, and so part of it is hopeful. It's like I see young people, that they're desperate. 
And uh, now, they, they want it to be fun and they want it to look like the world. And so they're attracted to, to Hillsong and these concerts and, and the hip minister or whatever. But yeah. people are thirsty for the same thing. It's like they want to do right and they're looking for instruction. And, and that's where I guess uh, my complaint with, not guess, but the complaint with Hillsong and Carl Lentz is like they are making people feel good perhaps not giving them the instructions they need in order to, how can I be a better servant to God? Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I want to first go back to what you what you what you mentioned earlier, uh, which is the the idea that hey, I can I can do some things. There's some things I can do apart from God. There's some things I can have that are are not connected to God. I, I don't disagree. Just by what's called the common grace of God, we all have skills, abilities, and we'll see worldly success as a result. I, I think Paul summed it up well uh, as as he was writing to the church at Philippi. Uh, there were those who thought that they were better than Paul was. They had better giftings than he did. Uh, and, and Paul would, would write to them and say, you know, I, if, if you want to test who I am, I, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I've, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. All of the worldly accolades that could be granted at the time that Paul was doing his ministry were granted him. You know, he, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the top rung of the ladder. But what he says there is he's writing to the, to the church at Philippi. He said, when I think about Christ, I count all of those things as lost. Those things don't matter to me because of the beauty and, and the magnitude of what I have in Christ. I'll count all of that loss. You could, if we're, if we're putting things on a ledger, you could take the ledger and fill it with all of the worldly accolades possible. But when I consider Christ, I desire to know nothing but him and him crucified. That's what I desire to know. That was Paul's uh, attitude. That was Paul's thought process. And that was what he wanted to explain to those who would say, well, I, I don't need Christ. I got this over here and that over here and this over here. When you understand the beauty of what you gain and obtain in Christ, you relinquish all that because even with all of the worldly things that you can gain, and this flows into the very next thing that, that, that you're asking me about, even with all the worldly things that you can gain, there will still be something on the inside of each and every one of us that's missing. There'll be some way that we want to feel connected. There'll be some way that we'll want to feel loved, that we'll want to feel appreciated, that we'll want to find our tribe and be able to identify. And that's what you saw those people uh, longing for that were there in New York. They were longing for a place that they could connect. My concern, every time I witness these kinds of movements, and, and they come along at different periods, the church growth movement, the mega church movement, uh, you know, different movements that come along. My concern before I, before I readily jump on board to the next movement, I want to pump the brakes and I want to ask some questions. And I think those are the kinds of questions you're asking here on the show. The kinds of questions that we need to ask are, what is this anchored to? You know, what is the source? Is the source Christ? Is the source his word? Or, or are we being drawn because of music? Are we being drawn because of what, what feels good? Is it, is it some external experience that we're, that we're having? Or is it truly a revelation from God? And I, I'll grant you this. In a, in a society, in a culture where, where we're about an inch deep, theologically speaking, and a mile <laughs> wide from a standpoint of, of, of expression and experience, 
people don't have a lot of a lot of deep roots from which to draw to so that they can say, hey, that's biblical, that's godly, this isn't. One of the things that that I think is, is wonderful about about this segment of the show is that we do a deeper dive to provide people resources and ideas and thoughts theologically that help them go deeper so that they can ask the right kinds of questions. We are constantly asking those questions on this show, whether it's a Mike Todd, uh, whether it's a Carl Lentz, uh, whatever the issue, whatever the subject, we want to go deeper to see what's behind it. Because whatever you draw the people with, you have that's what you're going to have to use to keep them uh, continuing to follow. And if it's, if it's not on a firm foundation, uh, it's problematic. Anthony, I want to pivot a little bit to uh, they spend a lot of time in episode two because Carl Lentz cooperates with this documentary and he and his wife are both prominently featured in it. And they spend a lot of time in episode two to me painting a picture that Hillsong was unfair to mm -hmm. Carl Lentz. Mm -hmm. And so Carl Lentz is, the, the elders at the church discover he's having an affair with some tatted up woman named Rainin or whatever, I, I can't remember her name, just I don't think she's even involved with the church. They, I think they discovered it through his text message, who knows, email, whatever. And then they find out that he's sleeping with and carrying on an affair with another Hillsong minister's wife who serves as the nanny of, of, his, of Carl Lentz's kids and his wife. She's basically living in their home. She's another Hillsong minister's wife living in their home or spending a lot of time in their home taking care of their kids. He's sleeping with her. He's lying to his wife about it. His wife suspects things, blah, blah, blah. And so Brian Houston and Hillsong went upon discovering this. They host a Zoom call and they cut bait with him immediately. It's see this way it's presented. And the documentary paints a picture, leads you with the impression this was very unfair, they were very harsh, they should have done more to support him, blah, blah, blah. You got a church. Mm -hmm. Were they fair? Was the discipline fair in your? As portrayed in the documentary, yeah. uh, they are painting that picture like this was just shock and all, just all of a sudden, hey, you're out. We found out you're gone. Uh, I struggle with that because, again, mega church, uh, massive image that they have to de deal with. I struggle with that part because I, I know of churches that, you know, have a pretty good number and, and they may have an issue. If the leadership finds out about this before the membership and before it gets out, because Apparently at the time, you know, we don't know anything about social media. It's not out there. It's just somehow they see this on his text. That gives them the space and time to extend grace, to work with him, to investigate, you know, is this what it was? And is he repentant and all of these issues so that they can then decide where they want to go? The way that the documentary portrays it is they found out and it's just, hey, we got to get rid of this guy. Considering that image, I don't know. I, I, I think that there probably was a period of time where, hey, if we don't address, if you, if you know, if we can't deal with this, if you're, you know, unrepentant, if this is something that you have a problem with and we're not going to be able to go on, we're going to have to let you go. But they just made it look a different way. The other side of this is 
because of the way that they handled it, uh, again, according to the documentary, they have a responsibility as the church to, if this is your brother in Christ, if this is how you view him, then, I mean, we don't kick him out and banish him and he's gone from our existence. Like, he's still my brother. Okay, maybe he's lost influence. Maybe he no longer is in capacity right now to lead the church, but he's still our brother. Like, you know, we want to care about your healing, your family, your kids, uh, the other family, if they're involved, et cetera. So I was just a little, uh, you know, the way that they did that, I, I'm not sure. I, I don't think that that's how that went down per my eye. Discipline. Too harsh, not compassionate enough, Virgil? Yeah, I, I think I think there are two factors to this this piece. One is the the qualifications uh, for an elder, for for a pastor in this instance, and and it was obvious. Again, if we're if we're to believe everything that we we see and read in the documentary, that he abused uh, his pastoral uh, uh, you know privilege, so to speak. Uh, he he just abused it. He leveraged his 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 power, his influence, his authority uh, in a position where he, he had this young lady who, from the, what I read of the story, she was the nanny for his kids while she had kids of her own that someone else was being a nanny for. So that part for me was just problematic. That should have, that should have had everybody pumping the brakes. Like if she's got her own kids mm -hmm. at home, she should be taking care of her kids at home, not in his house, nannying his kids. And so that that to me was was problematic. I didn't even know how that how that was transpiring. Uh, you've got all kinds of problems and issues there. But but specifically with regard to his removal, once it was, you know, researched, studied, once someone found out that the facts surrounding it, I had no problem with them removing him from the position that he had, right? There, there was nothing wrong with that. I think they should have done so immediately and in, in, in the way that was right. There was a, there's a sub story as well. And those who actually go check out the, the, uh, the, the, the FX, uh, uh, you know, deal will, will, will learn that, you know, I guess the daughter was involved in an incident that she, so they wanted to keep the, the specifics quiet, uh, so that the daughter didn't didn't do any additional harm, and apparently that wasn't uh, that wasn't accepted. The, the news got out there in a big way. So there are facets of the story that that look really odd. Why people would operate in the way that they did, but as it stands, from regard to his removal immediately once all the facts were out, I think that was proper and appropriate. I agree with Anthony. There should have been an ongoing conversation. Uh, in an effort to just re restore him back to the to, to, to believers in the faith, not to any role of of pastor or any role of authority or anything like that. But but somebody should have gotten around. And, and, and we don't know. Maybe this did happen. Uh, someone should have from that church, elders in particular, should have put their arms around that family and navigated life with them so that they wouldn't be lost and walked away and having walked away from the church, which is what it, uh, it's just how it currently appears uh, to have to, that things have taken place. I, I think, and again, this is no expertise. It's just Jason Whitlock. <laughs> I, I just, I don't think that the, the church had any choice. Uh, this man is sleeping with another minister's wife. I can't, for a church group, uh, that's got to be the ultimate betrayal. Uh -huh. uh, and so he's caused conflict not only in his own life, but in another person's life. It, it, it's, it's, 
so and this is where the documentary makes me think like the first episode, Carl Lentz wasn't in it. He wasn't a participant. They were just telling the story, giving the background. And then the second episode, Carl Lentz is on camera. He's a participant. And now we got the third and fourth episodes to look forward to. And it makes me think, no, the real target of this documentary is Hillsong. It's Brian Houston. It's that Carl Lentz and a handful of uh, women from the church are cooperating with some journalists and a producer to take down Hillsong. And it, it makes me very unsympathetic to uh, Carl Lentz. I mean, just, just very unsympathetic. This seems like, a, and we'll have to see what happens third and fourth, but they've already kind of previewed that the third episode, they go back to some old music director from Australia that got run out of the church, and we, got a, we listened to his narrative of how he got ran out of the church. We don't know, you know, there's always two sides to every story. We don't know the other side. It feels like they're after Brian Houston and Hillsong more so, and it feels like Carl Lentz is in on it. It's like a revenge tour. I, I, I just... I had, if they had, and God forgive me for saying this, but if they had burned Carl Lentz at the stake, I wouldn't have shed a tear. This, this kind of betrayal, uh-huh. another pastor's wife, she's in your house raising your kids and she's got kids and you a pastor and you don't put your foot down and say, as a man of God, go raise your kids. I got a wife here to raise mine and we can get, a, we can get another uh, nanny. That, I just, that man needs his butt whooped, bottom line. I just, I, I got no respect for it. So, so you didn't ask that question to me. The question I, that I was really going to get to on that was, like Virgil pointed out, the, the fact that the nanny had to have a nanny. Okay, so we got to stop all of this. Like, that was, that was it. But my thing about even the the nanny piece in that perspective, he mentions in the documentary, Lentz does, that his family, you know, we don't have much room to not be a model for the church, et cetera. But you're not tending to the church that God gives you at home, your, your family. So if you're not tending to that, then the church invest in or some kind of way. Well, we'll get you a nanny so you can tend to us and then we'll get the nanny a nanny. Like we've gone so far off. Like you said, had Lent's family say, hey, I know the church has gotten so big, but it can't get big enough to where you can't tend to your family. We we just got to stop there. It can't get so large and so much image and so much this that my family uh, comes at stake. And that's that's where they're putting someone else's family. Sure. For all of that, which is why I said mega church and image, all of that's for the image, because what happens from their standpoint as Hillsong, if man, Carl is all over the place and he's been invited here and he's getting so many celebrities, we need him on the go. We can't have him. I mean, hey, we got to do something. Let's get him a nanny so he can go like that just goes left. Virgil. In your position as someone that deals with a lot of ministers from across the country and just the, the thing that hit me about Carl Lentz and 
I think it's commonplace a lot of times when you're in that minister's position, people tell you a lot of positive things and you can start to believe them. Yeah. And and you can become your own idol and you can become well. There's five thousand people coming to hear me speak. Mm -hmm. Not just five thousand. It's five thousand at a time, seven times on a Sunday. And you start thinking you're the magic that you're. God. And that's how you get in a mindset where it's like, oh, well, this woman's abandoning her own family for the benefit of my family. I'm good with that. Right. That that it's the idolatry of ministers. And, and I think they're in a very tough spot because they get so much uh, positive feedback. Everybody loves them. Everybody loves their sermons and all they get. And, and I've said this for years, and I'm sorry for referencing myself because it's made sound, but I've always said one of my greatest advantages over other sports writers is I get so much criticism because I'm so polarizing, it keeps me in check. Right. No matter how successful I got, there was always half the audience that couldn't stand me and couldn't wait to tell somebody how awful I was. And so... I actually love the criticism. It, it, it keeps me in line because I'm, I know I'm a flawed person. And, and, and so I just want, I feel sorry for ministers that, that they're removed from criticism a lot of times. It creates a monster in them, in my opinion, and that's what we're seeing in Carl Lentz. Yeah, I, I think, I think there's, 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 some, there's some fruit to, I mean, there's some validity Jason, to what you're sharing, and, and I'll say it this way. I think there are certain um, styles, and, and the Carl Lentz Hillsong style lent itself to even more adulation on the part of the audience that, that followed him. Uh, the reason for that was because, I mean, he's walking into a stadium as almost a rock star. Like he walks in and, 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 and he jumps out on stage and there's this rock star kind of expression that, that follows what he's doing. So all the more so uh, in that environment can he be led to feel that way. But that doesn't mean uh, that the pastor that has the 200 person church or 250 person church uh, can't find themselves in that situation. But that's the, that's the whole reason for, uh, for an elder led kind of church where, where multiple men uh, are able to hold you accountable. No one man holds the holds all the keys, all the reins, but 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 men who love God, who love you and 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 most importantly, love the church, love God, love you, love the church, are able to say to you, hey, I think you're I think you may want to be careful of this. I think you may want to be be careful of that and can and can provide some some checks uh, and balances to that kind of rock star approach. One of the things that that I did, I served for a brief period in uh, as a pastor for six years uh, there in Omaha, Nebraska at a Southern Baptist church. And again, we had a, it was a large church. Some would call that a mega church. It was uh, 1,800 uh, people on a given Sunday, anywhere between 1,800 to 2,200 people on multiple campuses. And I was the associate pastor there. Um, one of the things I tried to do that was that helped me not to simply eat up all the, all the adulation, all the, hey, great sermon, great job, great this, great that, was I tried to put myself in environments where no one knew me, uh, where I didn't get that kind of applause. So I, I would spend a portion of, of uh, a month, one, one Sunday a month, I would be at an abortion clinic 
Uh, and I would be talking to people there to try to keep them from from walking into an abortion mill. I guarantee you that'll keep you humble as as some boyfriend is, is ready to fight you because he wants to have his girlfriend have an abortion. And you're trying to tell him that there's a different way. There's a better way. Uh, I would go into once a month. I would be in a, a jail. Uh, I would I, I regularly did jail ministry just to show up in a space where folks don't know me. They don't care about anything I'm saying or doing except for the moment that I have with them. Uh, to share the gospel. I would also do street evangelism. One Sunday a month, I was on a street corner with a sign and just talking to people who would come by and, and interact with me. And those folks don't know me, don't care about me. And m- most of the time they, they would tell me I was number one by flipping me to middle finger. Right. And so I just, uh, Hey, I, I know I'm number one. I know I'm number one. I appreciate that. But, but all of those things provided a space in where uh, I recognize one thing is that I'm not all that. Right. And that that all the things that people are saying inside the church are that's not everywhere. Right. But the other piece of that is, is just the reality of I know that I'm a flawed human being uh, who needs God, who needs to repent regularly of my sin. And, and those kinds of thoughts alongside that work help help ministers, not just me, but ministers in general, um, maintain a, a level of of just of reality of, of connectedness with people, and so I think those kinds of things are helpful. My other overwhelming feeling reaction watching this was the whole diversity, equity, and inclusion, LGBTQ, Black Lives Matter. This was all laced into the documentary. And th- they use the gay dude and, and they use uh, the, the black woman with the blonde hair to hammer these points that the church uh, didn't talk, didn't promote the LGBT thing the way that they wanted. And then the black woman was there complaining that uh, the church's leadership didn't have enough black people high enough up. And, and it, it, it was probably the most depressing thing about the whole first two episodes to me is I, I, I just, I came where I go, kid, have they made things so bad? Have we been so sifted <laughs> that we can't have, uh, we can't come together uh, th- that, that, and, it's like they made me hate the word diversity yeah. uh, because, you know, we're really just image bearers of Christ. But it's almost like they, they sifted us so bad. At one point, when Carl Lentz was probably the most authentic thing he said, in my view, he, he complained about, you know, because he was the white minister that would go on TV and t- Black Lives Matter and he did it from the pulpit and he had his whole justification. So he was the cool white minister that affirmed Black Lives Matter. But then in the doc, at one point, he had to get honest and say, man, there was nothing I could do. I, we had a meeting and a and, uh, black woman gets up and talks and, and as soon as the meeting's over, another black woman comes and says, well, she ain't really black, she's married to a white guy. And then he said there was another uh, black woman and, and the black woman said, well, uh, you know, she don't represent me. She, you know, she's not the kind of black I am. And he just kind of just threw his hands up. It's like, well, and, and I'm watching this and, and this is where 
I'm a patriarch, I'm probably sexist, but I just sit there and go, these women in, in, at, a, at a church and trying to meet all their needs and emotions and all of that, I don't know, Godspeed to all of y'all that's, that's doing that and handling that, but I just came away with, Miss me with all of it. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, tells, Paul tells Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter uh, 4, he says, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearance and in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Be watchful in all things, endure afflictions and do the work of the evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So Paul is telling Timothy the charge, preach the word. But he says, be instant or be ready in season and out. And what does that mean? That means that there's going to be times where the word that you preach, people will, hey, man, amen, I like that. And there will be some times and seasons where they don't want to hear it. But you're not preaching to their inclination. You're preaching because you're charged by God to preach the word. He tells them you need to rebuke. Now, if I got up every Sunday and I'm talking about, oh, how God is good and aren't you blessed and I got a blessing, you ought to get a blessing, man, we would be just great. But when I get up and say, no, but we need to repent because you're doing this and we're doing this and we're not doing what I don't want to hear that too much. You know, last two or three Sundays you've been talking about repentance. I don't like that too much. I'm not preaching to what you want to hear. And Paul goes on to warn there will come a time where people will, because they want, they have itching ears, because they want to hear what they want to hear, they'll just get somebody else that'll tell them what they want to hear. So I, I read that and, and you see what happened with Hillsong, you see what happened with Lentz. Because we're mega, because we're concerned about image and numbers from a business and corporate sense, yes, I do have to lean into, well, I don't want my such and such people over here to feel too bad. And well, I don't want these people to feel and well, and you mix that with the people who you drew, you drew them with an intent of just getting numbers and mass and mass. So they're coming with this. I want what's in it for me. What are you going to do for me when I get there? Which is not why we attend service, which is not why we come to Christ. It's all about him. So you put those two together. What's in it for me? And I got to watch out for their needs. And we leave the word of God. And now we're dealing with putting out all these fires with all these issues. Wow. And, and, and that's where if you're a minister worth your salt, you got to be ready to stand on the word regardless of how and who is out there. You got to be willing and ready to stand on the truth. Uh, Virgil, before you hop in, I, I want to say, I love what you just said there, Anthony, because, and I'm, I'm sorry for doing this, but what you're being saying is like, if the word isn't front and center at the get-go, let's don't get shocked when they stray away from the word and start looking for, hey, what's in it for me? 
Yes. And I want to be entertained. And how come this leader doesn't look like this? And blah, blah, blah. If, if you capture them with the word and that's front and center, the word is always going to defend you and answer all of their questions. Yes. And, <laughs> but there's no song that can answer that woman's question. <laughs> Only yes. the word can answer Unless that woman's question. Unless it's her song. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Virgil, hop in here. Yeah, if I if I could if I could have had a Hammond B three organ, I would have I would have played my little organ, for, you know, a black church style on on that piece right there, because that was the yes and amen of everything that I've ever that I've ever shared on this show and everywhere I go. It's that it ha the focus has got to be the word of God. It cannot be your emotion or the tingle up your spine that you heard when sister so and so sang that song. Uh, it cannot be, you know, what someone said the way they said it. It's got to be anchored in the word. It cannot be based upon the way some guy is dressed or they look like you or they or they sound like you or they act like you or they know the latest fashion trends. It cannot be that. That's why every time I see some of these young guys coming along, these young guns come along and they're trying to appeal in that way. I, I always pump the brakes. Uh, in the in the documentary, one of the things that was stated was that uh, that that uh, Instagram started uh, in October. I think it was like October sixth of, uh, of 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 twenty ten. And then when you look to see when Hillsong started, uh, it was like twenty uh, or, or October twelfth of twenty ten. So it was like a week later or two weeks later after Instagram begins, uh, Hillsong begins, and they leverage the medium. Uh, so much so that people see what they're doing, are drawn to what they're doing because they're always taking pictures. Well, what did you just draw them with? You just drew them with a look and a feeling that they had on the basis of an image. So when they come there, that's what they're expecting. So when you're long on image and, and, and short on inspiration from scripture, you've got a problem. It's, it's already an upside down uh, situation, which in the long run, will lead to problems. It may, you may not see it early on, and if it doesn't course correct, it will end up leading to problems. And so that's, that's kind of what, what I see and what I think as it pertains to the diversity piece, you're exactly right, Jason. Uh, there's the LGBT component, uh, there's the Black Lives Matter component, and, and uh, you know, Carl Lentz was on all the shows, on all the talk shows, kind of walking back the language around the LGBTQ piece, right, initially. Uh, he was on The View, and when asked about homosexuality, you know, his response is, well, uh, you know, that, that's, a, that's something that we have a conversation about, you know. Uh, I know what the Bible says, but we have a conversation about that. Well, no, Scripture is clear. You state what it says, and you stand flat-footed, clear-eyed, and, and, and address it from, from that point of view. The, the Black Lives Matter piece, you, you, you know, the idea that diversity is a virtue is a flawed idea. Diversity is simply a description of reality. Diversity just describes what's taking place. It's not something we pursue. And churches who are pursuing diversity uh, for, for the sake of diversity are totally, once again, missing the mark. I don't have to see people on the stage who look like me. What I need to be focused on is I'm there worshiping the true and living God in whose image I'm a reflection of. That's it. Interesting documentary. I, I can't wait to see the the last two uh, episodes of it. If if quickly, 
What do you, I've already told you what I suspect. They're, they're going to go after Brian Houston really hard. Maybe he deserves it. I don't know. I'd, I'd, I probably won't accept it coming from this group of people because, uh, you know, they're outside the faith. I, th- that's the, you know, I, any of these reporters they've used, I, they don't come across like they have any understanding because they'd be asking different questions. And then uh, the ladies and the, the the gay man, they just want again. When you you guys keep hammering, like people are looking for what the, the woman that wants to be this big time minister and went to Hillsong's deal is so delusional. And the fact that no one at Hillsong maybe they have sat her down and told her like, "Hey, woman, you're crazy. You're not going to be some big time minister. I don't know why you went to this college thing. You was going to be some big mega minister star. Why you think you're a man? And why you? I don't. The truth would set her free, and someone needs yeah. to set that woman free, uh, and set the gay dude free too, and tell him like, "Hey, man." And they almost did. They said like, "Hey, this is Hillsong. This is Christianity. It's." <laughs> Their record on your issue is, is pretty well established. But again, when the minister, because you, I say this about coaches, I say this about ministers, I say this about all great leaders. They just find a new way to say the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah. And so why this dude, he should be making it clear, he should have been making it clear at his church, hey, no, this is exactly where we stand on the LGBT issue. And, and, and if that runs off his gay congregation, so what? Hey, guys, we're not going to do this racial idolatry. Here's where we stand on the BLM issue. That runs people off, so be it. But they got a lot of music to sell. They like being popular. Uh, I'm sure the guy liked going to basketball games and talking to NBA players and all that. Anyway, I, I, y'all's prediction, uh, and we'll end there, where do you think these next two episodes go? Uh, I think they're going to continue on the sympathy piece for him, for uh, Lentz. Um, and like you said, I think they're going to pursue Hillsong as a whole to make the whole thing just look, uh, I don't know. But that's my prediction. Yeah, I, 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 I don't disagree with anything that you said there, Anthony. I would add to that that what they're really after is broader evangelicalism. Uh, it's not just mm-hmm. Hillsong. Uh, it's any church of any of any size uh, that that's preaching a message. They have lumped every everybody claiming evangelicalism into the Carl Lentz kind of pastoral, you know, uh, uh, framework, the Hillsong framework uh, to say, you know, none of you should be doing this. You're all abusers. You're all manipulators. You're all for, in it for the money. You're all in it. So yes, I think Hillsong will be targeted. But but the walk away, the takeaway will be, see, and that's that's why we don't need to follow these Christians anyway. That's what will be that's the final takeaway. Yeah. I almost forgot, Virgil, I do want to give you a shot here at uh, Tim Keller has passed away. I, 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 great Calvinist uh, pastor. I wanted if you had any thoughts you wanted to share on him. Yeah, his 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 legacy will be one that folks will look at in time. I think this is the time when, uh, as as a man like that passes, you take time to mourn with those who mourn, uh, and and you step away. I, I'm, I'm as you know, you call me your critic on the on the show. Uh, I've got a lot of critical things to say about Tim Keller and some of the woke 
kind of ideas that he possessed. Uh, I won't I, I won't engage those at this time, but simply to say that, that we've we've lost one, and uh, we definitely need to allow those who mourn that loss to do so, uh, and, and without without you know any kind of a, a, a commentary from the peanut gallery guys like me. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot to his legacy that uh, that needs to be uh, addressed. And I think there, there will come a time. I've done it in the past uh, and I will do so in the future. But at this time, I think we just pause and, and, and mourn the loss of a, of a, of a man who's, who's, who's contributed uh, to, to the faith. Uh, sounds like he just said he's no John MacArthur and we'll end on that note. <laughs> uh, let's <laughs> that, that, You're right about That's that. That's cute harmony. And uh, we'll see you guys tomorrow. How did we end up so divided? Stop fighting and stand tall. We used to be a nation, one united. Now we're headed for a downfall Gotta let your light shine down What we need more than anything now Harmony Let's make a simple vow Let's come together now Harmony Put all your weapons down Love one another now Harmony Time for us to wake up Choose love, my sister, my brother to tell us Cause together we're so much stronger God let your light shine down What we need more than anything now Harmony Let's make a simple vow Let's come together now Harmony Put all your weapons down Love one another now Get to me Open up your eyes and see